Greetings church from beautiful sunny San Diego where we are enjoying the last few days of our summer getaway as a family. Say hi to the teens. Hello teens. Yes, we are on a rock jetty with a baby. Uh, we are going to be away for a few more days so we won't be leading you in worship but we're looking forward to being back live and in the room outside on Sunday and for the weeks to come. We have good things coming in the world of music and worship at Accora Bible Fellowship. Despite Corona, good things are happening. God bless you. Enjoy this time of worship and we'll see you very, very soon. Amen? Amen.
ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips.
Church family, welcome to another amazing online service. Well, I want to start this week off by saying hi to all you kids out there. I miss you. I can't wait to see you again soon. And to all you moms and dads, I know you're growing weary. I know this has been a tough time, but I want to encourage you to press on. Press on and staying positive. Press on in your relationship with the Lord. And press on showing your kids what an authentic relationship with Jesus really looks like. Um, kids are looking at you. You are their role models for what happens in tough times. So I encourage you, keep going. And we've got that Bible video curriculum. I hope you're using that. And it's a great way to um, bring that into the home and use it as a discipleship tool. So kids, I love you. I miss you. Want to see you again soon. Well, hey, another way that we love to support you is through prayer. And so I encourage you to text 97000 and send us your prayer requests. We'd love to hear from you. And our staff team would love to walk beside you through any prayer concerns, any way that we can support you. Well, this coming Monday at 6.30 p.m. is our Women's Courtyard Gathering, and it's going to be here on our campus, and this is going to be a great time for us to do some Bible study, some social distancing, and having a great time of fellowship. So women, I hope you'll come out. I look forward to seeing you on Monday evening. Well, it's been so fun going down to the beach this summer uh, with our ABF Summer Fun Days. The next time we're going to be at Zuma Beach is on August 1st. We'll be there at 11 a.m. And we typically meet between Lifeguard Stand 12 and 13. Um, we we want to thank everyone for their generosity, for their ongoing giving and support to our church. Man, if you are at home or if you are watching this on campus, it is your giving that continues to make the ministries here at ABF happen. So thank you for that. And easy ways to give is either online or uh, through our app, or you can send in a check. Well, something fun that we did this past Tuesday, our staff team went out and we did a staff outreach. We went to one of the neighborhood apartment buildings in Agora Hills, and we had $150 grocery gift cards. And so we went around knocking on doors and people answered the door and we were able to bless them and encourage them. They, we blew their socks off. It was so fun. We had opportunities to pray with people and to dive into deep conversations. So thank you for your giving and just how that's been able to bless our ministries here in Agora Hills. Well, um, kids, one last request for you is, um, I miss you. So could you please send me in some of your summer fun adventures? Send me in pictures. You know I love your pictures. Send me any pictures, any silly faces. I want to see what you've been up to this summer. Well, before we continue on in our service, I want to just take a minute to pray for our church family and for um, the teaching of God's word. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much. Thank you that we are a church, we are a family that can continue to put the spotlight on you. You deserve that, Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray, even in this hard time, 
Jesus, we would just continue to give you our hearts, submit to your authority and to your leadership in our lives. God, we want you to reign and rule in our hearts and in our lives. So help us where we're struggling, Jesus. Continue, continue to mold us and shape us to be more like you. We thank you. And I, I pray for my brothers and sisters, our church family. God, would you be so near to them? Would you protect them? Would you keep them safe? And God, we are wrestling through this season with this virus. And Lord, your will be done. Your will be done. We submit to your authority. We love you, Jesus, and we're excited to hear from your word. So I pray that you would speak into us now. We love you. Amen. Well, thank you, uh, Adrian, for praying for us. And hello, church family. It's uh, good to be back with you. It's been a couple weeks and so grateful for uh, Josh and Chris and uh, John filling in uh, for us for a chance to get away for a little bit. And uh, we're continuing here this uh, today just in this series through the book of Exodus. And uh, this particular one I'm entitling Your Best Life. And I couldn't resist, you might have already noticed this uh, picture on the screen. Uh, it might be a distraction through the service, but uh, my when Stephanie was giving me suggestions for images, that is one that stood out. In fact, that's a, a statement that's kind of caught my attention in the last couple years for kind of a newer expression. Maybe you've heard people saying that as well as they refer to somebody living their very best life. And uh, we have some, some good friends actually in our uh, own life group. And uh, the, the wife really enjoys shopping for deals at TJ Maxx. And so she, whenever she gets a chance, she's in the max, getting the max for the minimum. And she always comes back and tells her husband how much money uh, she saved with all of her purchases. And we joke about that, that she's living her best life ever and that expression maybe falls into a lot of different arenas. Maybe you've used it. Maybe something comes to mind when you think of your best life. But I wonder if maybe some of the pictures that we have in our head are maybe settling for a little too small of a reality. A little bit too small of a, a goal is what we determine is our best life possible. I remember when my kids were young, uh, we took them to uh, Walmart uh, for just before Christmas to get them all bikes. And they were all so excited about it. And I, I went ahead of time. We were in the Simi Valley uh, Walmart and checked out the prices. And after surveying that all of them were pretty cheap, I gave them the liberty of go ahead, pick out whatever bike you want out of this little section of small bikes. And uh, remember hearing just a couple days later, my son was so excited to share with one of his neighborhood friends. And he said, my dad bought me the very best bike they had. Now he left out the part that it was at Walmart, not knowing that they have bikes that are in the 10 to $20,000 range that exist. But to him, that was huge. That was massive. And sometimes I wonder if our definition of the best life is maybe sold a little bit short. Maybe we're settling for a Walmart bike when there's so much more that's out there. We see in our section of scripture here that God wanted us to live life and experience it to the fullest. That's what Jesus specifically said when he arrived. And so the question is, what does that life look like? What does this life to the fullest, your best life? And I would suggest that we're gonna get a glimpse of that in one of the most unsuspecting places in scripture found in the 10 commandments. 
Let me pray before we start in Exodus 20 here today. Lord Jesus, we invite you to teach us through this section of scripture that can be often just overlooked or maybe assumed that it's understood. I pray that there'd be a fresh new light on this section of your word. It was so near and dear to your heart, and that's obvious by you elevating it in the top 10 of priorities of the commandments. God, we ask that you'd speak to us, that you'd meet us, that maybe some of the uh, the old, worn-out uh, feeling of watching these videos would drip off and we see your word afresh. I pray for that in these moments now. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, so just a little recap before we start in chapter 20. For the last couple of weeks, we've seen just a, a, a display. And even as Josh reviewed last week, God's been providing faithfully for the Israelites at every single turn. Last week, or most recently, it was the water miraculously coming from a rock. But after that, we start to see in the chapters that follow that the Israelites start to slip into kind of a tension-filled existence in the wilderness. We see that Moses spent the majority of his day from sunup till sundown trying to navigate issues between the people, just trying to settle disputes, if you will. He got some good advice from his father-in-law who was visiting that suggested that he break up leadership to help take care of uh, caring for all of the people of Israel since it was such a huge task with that many people. But shortly after that, shortly after the distribution of care, we see that God calls Moses and Aaron to come to the top of Mount Sinai so he can give them more specific instruction as they move forward. God dem demonstrates, though, a kind of a huge light show, if you will, a demonstration of his majesty as the people look off from a distance. God comes down on the mountain in fire and smoke. The mountain shakes, we're told. There's thunder. There's flashes of lightning, trumpets blaring. I don't know who's playing the trumpets, but either way, this was a big deal, and the people were terrified, but God still invites them to come up. I should say, when I say them, I see, say, mean Moses and Aaron specifically, the rest of the people were to wait at the bottom of the mountain and wait for God's message. And that's where we're looking today. It starts in chapter 20 of Exodus. If you wouldn't mind turning your Bibles or your smartphones there, that would be fantastic. Verse 1, at the top of this mountain, and imagine their knees are shaking as God begins to speak. It says, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This introduction is maybe something that we move past too quickly. I believe that this introduction is key though. First, he establishes something. It says, first off, his introduction, he says, I'm the Lord your God. Clearly, he doesn't play nicely with the current religious plurality where everybody thinks, oh, you worship your God, I'll worship my God. He doesn't have a coexist bumper sticker, but instead, he's speaking something that's been validated by his actions all the way through, that there is one and only, uh, he's the one and only true and living God. He goes on to move past his introduction to what he's done. It says, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This was a 
reality that was important for them to, to claim or to grasp that the Lord had provided a rescue. It was nothing that they had done. This was key because before you can absorb these commandments that he's about to give, before you can joyfully follow his guidelines for free living, you have to be set free first. Let me explain. You see, order matters in how this works. It's still the same as true today. You first have to be rescued. Otherwise, the commandments that we're about to go through just serve as a reminder that we fall short. When my kids were little, we'd take them to different amusement parks and they were always anxious to get to the next size ride. And they had these crazy things, maybe you've seen them at the parks, where you have to be at a certain height in order to ride. My kids would try to go the extra mile, whether it was wearing tall shoes. I remember my, my son Chase would spike his hair extra high just so he could ride the ride. But here's the reality is, without rescue, the law just becomes a reminder that you're too short to ride, that, you're, that you don't meet the perfect standard. And so that's the reality that first you have to be rescued, first you have to be liberated before you can start living a life of freedom. Otherwise, following the law is just, a, is just an exercise of frustration. It's through faith in Jesus Christ now that we're rescued and then empowered by his Holy Spirit to live out and enjoy the law. Your perspective changes because when you're trying to use the law as a means to earn God's favor, it can be exhausting and daunting and frustrating. But when it's seen on the other side, when it's seen as a gift, when it's seen as like, oh, now that I've been set free, now I can enjoy the parameters that he has in place for us. Continue in the passage with the very first of the, uh, of the commandments, if you will. And really, this is a reminder that your best life revolves around him. In fact, if you're sitting next to somebody without COVID, say that to them now, your best life revolves around him. There we go. Good job on the couches here. But really, this is the first of the first four commandments actually go around that idea. The first one says, you shall have no other gods before me. You can see here why it makes sense to begin by embracing God as the one true God. Why should I put any other God that wouldn't be the one true God before him? When you have that foundation, then all of a sudden you understand it would make no sense to follow and chase after something that's not real. My wife, Adrian, uh, uh, messaged me or actually reached out to me on FaceTime while they were at Target the other day, just there in Thousand Oaks. And she was convinced, her and Sienna were convinced that they were following LeBron James in the store. They had a group of people that were filming there and they, they were convinced that, so they got me on, on FaceTime. Scott, you gotta see that it's LeBron. They followed him for like, I don't know how long. Was, I think she's a little embarrassed by it, but they come to find out it wasn't Le LeBron at all. It was some other random athlete, but I think he was, yeah, he played on the Rams, but definitely not uh, LeBron. And so the idea of wasting your time chasing something that's not real is kind of an act of kindness if God can save you from that. And that's really this first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me because there are no other gods before me. Otherwise, it's a hopeless pursuit. 
The second commandment's very similar with the idea of the object of our worship. It says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You'll notice first, uh, the, these first four commandments all revolve around the object of our worship. Idol worship was rampant in that day and age amongst nations surrounding Israel where they would elevate carved images and they'd bow and worship and even give sacrifice to different things that were made by human hands. We're about to see in the chapters to come that even the Israelites fall prey to that with a golden calf that they worship. Now today you might look back and you might think like, oh man, they were very primitive with that. But it may look a little different, but the sin of idolatry is still as rampant now as it was back then. You see, an idol is anything that we depend upon to meet the deep needs of our heart. Anything that we look to for security, for love, for worth, for value. John Calvin is known for saying the human heart is an idol factory. We love to create new things to find as an object of our dependence, whether it's our possessions, substances, money, entertainment, you can fill it in. But either way, anything that is of man and created by man is idolatry when it's elevated inappropriately. And that can even be good things, things that God designed to be a good thing. We can still take something as good as family, something as good as a spouse, something as good as kids, even something like our country, like our knowledge base, like our science. We can take things that are inherently not bad, but you can elevate them inappropriately. That's the idea here in the second commandment. Verses five and six there, you might have read, and it seems maybe a little confusing because he's not saying that children are going to be punished for the disobedience of their parents, but there is an impact of their parents' decisions and affections that can be felt for generations to come. Wickedness can also be implanted on a generation that it takes many generations for that influence to gradually be fade, to gradually fade away, to be undone. So that's the second commandment. The third one also has to do with our worship of God. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes the, his name in vain. Basically, the summary of this, and I know a lot of these are familiar to us, but it's an irreverent misuse of his name. And unfortunately, it's something that you hear way too often, even within the church. Oh my G-O-D, or misuse of Jesus' name. God takes this very seriously. You might hear that command and you're like, how did that make it to the top 10 list? But here we know so often in scripture, we're pointed to the, the fear of God as the beginning of all wisdom. And when there's not that reverence, man, that's a dangerous place to be. Swearing, even swearing by his name as part of an oath that he warns us against that. In Matthew 5, he just says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. 
either way were to hold his name in high regard because that says something about who he is. In addition, maybe a one aspect of this that you may not have thought of before I was reading about this week is the idea of using the Lord's name in vain might be when you're doing something as a claimed Christ follower that dishonors his name. You're then wearing the badge, you're wearing the button, you're, you're holding and elevating the flag of Jesus when operating in the flesh. That's another way that it can be seen of carrying or using his name in vain. The fourth commandment's the last one that's more vertical or directed towards God. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. This was a designated time that we're to connect with God I, I uh, was thinking about that. We taught about it in the last uh, year. And really, this is something that's intended to be a gift from God. It's, it's to move us towards relationship. Husbands, I have a question for you as it relates to this. Maybe it's something that you should slow down and listen to my world, words carefully before you answer this question. The question is this. Who's the best person in the world to tell you how to best love your wife. Husbands, who's the best person to tell you how to love your wife? Good, Aunt Josh, yes, he got it. The, the idea is this, the idea is you, you would not be the best person to determine how to best love your wife. Similar with our relationship with God. We might have an idea of what's the best way to foster that relationship, but the reality is he tells us that it takes carved out time, set aside time during the week that you have to designate for him in order to foster a healthy relationship with him. It's a key, it's critical, and that's why he introduced us to the Sabbath. I like the idea that it's something that's matched and connected with resting, with slowing down, with exhaling. Some of us in the chaos of the last couple of months need that Sabbath more desperately than ever. You might say, I've had plenty of downtime, but there's a difference between downtime and there's a difference between that and Sabbath time where you focus your heart and your mind on your relationship with God. I like this idea that I taught on last time we mentioned the Sabbath, that you'll either take a Sabbath willingly in the form of rest or unwillingly in the form of sickness and stress. Either way, the Sabbath is going to happen in your life. This made his top 10 list. Now, moving on to the next of the commands. So the fifth commandment is this, where we shift and we move from vertical, our relationship with God, to now horizontal, what our relationship looks like in the community with others. Fifth commandment says this, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land and the Lord your God, in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Basically, this reality, we're seeing it ever-present in our current situation, that society is stable because of one's ability to obey those in authority over them. When that is shaken, when there's an inability to obey or follow instruction, the whole idea, the whole framework of society breaks down. The idea, this is one of those commandments that starts as youth, as kids. I've heard, a, a, we have a police officer friend that he said, hey, either your parents teach you how to obey when you're younger or the courts te teach you how to obey when you're older. 
I often explain that to my kids. I'm like, hey, listen, enjoy this season of life. All you have to do is just obey mom and I. You have plenty of years where you'll be responsible for making your own decisions. But the more I've thought about that statement, I'm like, you know what? The obedience that we teach as a kid is just to build them up so that later on in life, they're better equipped to obey as parents, to obey as adults to God Almighty. You realize this is a truth all the way through. Obedience prepares you for more obedience later on. The sixth commandment, this is one that a lot of us will read and be like, all right, I'm doing all right. You shall not murder. Some of us are like, yeah, some of those other ones were tough, but this one I've done all right on. I haven't killed anybody. Uh, not that anybody knows at least. And here's the, the reality of this one, though, is God takes that the next step further in Jesus' description in Matthew 5. He says, whoever hates his brother commits murder in his heart. Like, oh, shoot, maybe I'm guilty of that one. You're like, I don't, I don't hate them. I just really despise them. That's the, that's the Christian way to get by it. But here's the reality that in Scripture we're told it's amplified that we're to love our enemies, to, to bless those who persecute us. That's the idea of the, one of the Ten Commandments, not murder, but it goes deeper than that, not to hate and even the opposite to actually love. Seventh commandment was we're just plowing through these. You shall not commit adultery. This applies to men and women, and it protects the sacred institution of marriage. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus 20.10, they were so intense about this. God was so intense about this that the penalty to, for infidelity was actually death, similar to murder. And in this one, Jesus also expands that definition that he says it also includes looking at a woman with lust in your heart. Our best life possible is when we're free from this. All of these things he's saying, listen, I know what's best, how you operate best in relationships, how you operate best in marriage is when you stay within these parameters, it just works. The eighth commandment, you shall not steal. This is taking anything that doesn't belong to you. A lot of times people are like, well, that I'm doing pretty well on. Uh, I haven't taken anything from somebody. I haven't stolen anything from anyone in a really long time. I stole a lollipop when I was a kid. But think about some of the adult versions of stealing. What does that look like? What does it look like to fudge just a little bit on your taxes? What does it look like to steal company time by, by surfing the internet or whatever that might be? There's a lot of ways that we can be dishonest and take something that's not ours. Ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Doesn't say that we're not to lie in the broader sense, although that's reinforced throughout scripture, but here it's focusing in on a false testimony making sure that you're not saying something untrue about someone else. Most likely this is fresh on the other side of so many uh, court-like situations that Moses has been governing over. But here it's still something that we have to be careful of, making sure when we speak of somebody that we're speaking truth. I think about that even on Facebook, being careful, being careful not to pass something on that could be slanderous when we're not really sure if it's true. If you're unsure, don't pass it on. And then you can introduce the whole idea of not to slander or gossip, and that limits a lot of what we're able to do during this election season. Tenth commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife 
or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This shows a little something different that all of the others have been something that's external, something that is visible. This starts to deal with issues and matters of the heart. This is internal. What's going on when you look at somebody else's possessions? Are you content with what you have? It's almost like in the American culture, that's just assumed that that's just normal and acceptable. But according to God, he says, do not covet. What's the opposite of covet? Being content with what you have. Now you might read these 10, these, these 10 outline commandments and you might think to yourself, you know what? I'm, I'm content with my life, doing my own thing. It might lead to a better life, Pastor Scott, but I'm okay with kind of the balance that I've found on this. But let me make sure that I'm clear that this isn't just the 10 suggestions for your best life. This is the 10 commandments from a holy, perfect God speaking from the top of a mountain with flames coming from it, with smoke billowing from it, with it shaking. He's wanting to make sure that we understand that yes, these are for our best life, but they're also specific commands, hence the title commandment. Here though, if we think about these parameters, because there's that balance of fear and love of God. And you think through these, all of a sudden you start to realize, wait a second, that probably is within these boundaries, the best life possible. It, it is possible, the, the, the best way to live. It might not be, it might not be the easiest way to live. It might not be the most appreciated way to live. It might not be the happiest way to live. But most likely, if God is saying this is the best way to live, then most likely I would suggest it is. And I would also suggest that it's got to be intriguing to the world around us when they look at a person that is living like this. Wow, they're completely focused on their God. They only look to him for satisfaction. They're, they're not swayed by their opinion, by the opinion of others. They're careful to respect his name. They intentionally carve out time for him and their schedule. They're respectful. They were respectful when they were little kids. And now as adults, they're still respectful to their parents. You know that if you've wronged them, that they're not holding a grudge. They're not gonna get even or, or repay you with evil. You understand that, it, wait, wait a second. When you mistreat them, they return that with good. They are committed to their wife and their family. They're, they're somebody that you can trust. You can turn something over and know that they're not gonna do something illegitimate with them. You can know that if they say something, that their word is honorable. You think about all of these things played out. There's no weird competition in them. They're not competing to try to get something you have. All of a sudden you realize they're different. When somebody is living like this, when the Holy Spirit is guiding the person's life and giving them the ability to live in this freedom, the freedom that's come through Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, all of a sudden the world is saying, I'm intrigued. I want some of that. It's start to realize when you look a little bit closer that it sounds a lot like the way that Jesus lived. And it sounds a lot like the best life possible for us to live. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these 10 commandments that are so often seen as restrictions. 
But the reality is when you dig into them, when you look deep into them, you realize they're a picture of a life of freedom. God, my prayer is that they, w- they wouldn't get lost in the Old Testament as antiquated or something that can be ignored, but they'd be elevated in our life as a recipe for a life that's full, that's vibrant, that's dynamic, a a life that's noticeable, a life that leaves a mark on those around us. I would pray during this time of, of crazy that we would go back to some of these foundational things, that we'd live above reproach. We'd be able to put our head on our pillows at the end of the day with no regrets, knowing that we stayed within the framework that you've established. We thank you for your kindness to us, that you would love us enough to give us guidelines with our best interest in mind. For that, we praise you. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. When you speak, confusion fades. Just a word. And suddenly I'm not afraid, cause you speak. Freedom reigns, there is hope in every single word you say. I don't want to miss one word you speak, cause everything you say is life to me.
church. Well, I pray you have an amazing week. I pray that this time of worship, the worship mashup, if you will, best of well, has, been, uh, has been a blessing to you. Look forward to having Chad and Erica back next weekend after vacation and pray that you have an amazing week in the Lord, that you keep clinging to him, that you stay within his, within his boundaries and live the best life ever. God bless you.